Due to the graphic nature of this podcast, listener discretion is advised. This podcast may contain, but is not limited to, strong language, sexual content, violence, and death. This podcast may not be suitable for listeners under 18. Hi, I'm Christina. And I'm Crystal. Welcome Welcome to Crime Crime Night. Tonight's episode will be the second part of the Chicago Tylenol murders. The first major suspect that the police had was a man by the name of Roger Arnold, who was a 48-year-old dock worker. And the reason why he was a suspect was he was caught like saying some suspicious things about the murders that were happening in the bar. So somebody must have told, informed the police, gave a tip or something. So they investigated this and while the police questioned him they actually found that there were some connections but they were kind of loose connections um the first connection was with mary reiner who had bought her bottle from a store that was across the street from a psychiatric ward where roger's wife actually was and he actually had another connection with Mary Reiner and the fact that he worked with her father. But I think that unless he gave the bottle to the father, which yeah, obviously so she bought it. That yeah. one is a little yeah, too far. You can, he could never pinpoint if he did it. You can never yeah. pinpoint what bottle somebody's going to buy and from what store. Yeah. So unless he had specifically given Mary Reiner's father the Tylenol yeah, that, that she took, that one was kind of grasping at straws. But he could he did have the access to the store that mary reiner did buy her bottle from as his wife was across the street so adam the first of the three family members that had died actually purchased it from a jewel convenience store and roger worked at a jewel warehouse so he did have access to at least two of the bottles yeah but once again that's so vague i mean if you knew how big chicago is chicagoland area and how many stores Mm-hmm. are within that area there's no way yeah. you could pinpoint whether that person is going to stop at that particular mm-hmm. store and buy that particular bottle yeah and this is very loose connections mm-hmm. but they were at this point there were so many people that could have done this that they were just trying to find any yeah yeah lead any viable lead and they actually ended up finding how to crime books in his home as well as um evidence of like chemistry type things like such as like beakers and other chemistry equipment and like different um like chemicals roger also refused a polygraph test when they um, asked him to produce one to do one and despite having some loose connection there really was any not any evidence to even prosecute him or charge him with a crime so they really couldn't do anything but it was known to the media that he was a suspect and he actually ended up getting a lot of attention from that to the point where he had a nervous breakdown and he actually blamed everything on a bar owner named marty sinclair i'm guessing because the bar that he was that was the bar that jibber jabber in that that he was overheard talking mm-hmm. suspiciously about so he blamed the bar owner and in 1983 he actually shot and killed a man named john stanisha as he actually mistook john for marty so he he was went after the bar owner but killed mm-hmm. the wrong person so he d- didn't even solve his 
issue number one that he yeah. was going after a particular person. Yeah, I don't think he like went sought out to kill him. I think it was just kind of like he saw somebody that happened to look like him and like got angry and shot him, mm. kind of thing. Last minute, kind of. I'm yeah. guessing. Last minute thought, last minute reserve thought that he's like, I'm just gonna get rid of him since he caused me so much grief. Yeah, yeah. Like I don't, I don't think that it was necessarily planned out, but. Either way, he received a 30-year sentence for a second-degree murder, and he actually only ended up serving 15 years. He ended up dying in June of 2000. So sometime that he had already been out of jail for quite a while then at that point. Yeah. So he, had, he was able to finish living his life, so to speak. Yeah, so and if he did it, he's no longer alive to say anything about it, and they don't currently have any enough evidence that would convict him or prosecute him and would they even try to convict him because he's already dead at this right no there's nothing they can do at this point regarding roger yep Mm -hmm. another suspect that they kind of homed in on was a man named james lewis and he was a tax accountant now he had sent a handwritten letter to johnson and johnson on october 6th and the letter read johnson and johnson parent of McNeil Laboratories. Gentlemen, as you can see, it's easy to place cyanide, both potassium and sodium, into capsules sitting on store shelves. And since the cyanide is inside the gelatin, it is easy to get buyers to swallow the bitter pills. Another beauty is that the cyanide operates quickly. It it takes a very little, and there will be no time to take countermeasures. If you don't mind the publicity of the little capsules, then do nothing. So far, I have spent less than $50, and it takes me less than 10 minutes per bottle. If you want me to stop killing them, then wire $1 million to bank account number 84-49-597 at Continental Illinois Bank in Chicago, Illinois. Don't attempt to involve FBI or local Chicago authorities with this letter. A couple of phone calls by me will undo anything you could possibly do. So that was kind of a weird letter that somebody would send. So the authorities actually did know that it was James because there was a fingerprint on it. And there was an arrest warrant issued for him. And on December 13th, he was sabotaged and arrested at a public library annexed in new york ending the manhunt so now this is where it kind of gets weird so the bank account that james actually listed on the letter didn't belong to him it actually belonged to a different gentleman by the name of frederick miller mckay now this frederick miller mckay has something to do with the miller brewing company like his family owns it i believe and james believed that frederick actually his wife leanne out of some money like $511. So he actually purposely put this guy's bank account. Yes. And how did he find this guy's bank account? Because Leanne, his wife, actually worked for this Um, gentleman. And he was a tax accountant also. So he had done the taxes. So he had the bank account. Bingo. Yep. So it is believed that James only included the bank account number for this gentleman in hopes that they would blame it on him and expose him as... The so meaning that he still owed his wife this $511, so he was gonna try to get this money one way or another. So, this was his so he's gonna his weird way of 
doing this, apparently. This letter was not the only piece of evidence that the police had thinking that this was something that this James guy could have done that when he was 19 years old. He actually chased his mother with an axe. So he clearly had issues. Yes. And in 1966, he was committed to a Missouri State Mental Hospital because he took 36 Anison pills. Now, Anison was a type of pain reliever back then also, kind of like the Tylenol. So he tried to OD on pain killers. killers. And while James was in that mental hospital, he was diagnosed with catatonic schizophrenia. So that explains the paranoia. Yes. Yes. So James did later claim that the acts that he did here were to escape from the Vietnam draft. So he tried to cover up this with a story. Whether that's a true story or not, mm -hmm. I, we'll never know. James was actually charged and acquitted for the murder of Raymond West. Now, Raymond West was actually a gentleman that he knew from doing his taxes. So he had connection with this guy. And Raymond was actually found dismembered in his home home in the summer of 1978. So after the murder experience, James and Leanne launched a short-lived business adventure where they attempted to import pill-making machines to India. Now who would think that that would have been a business to do? Now this doesn't end with the criminal record for James. He actually also in 1981 was suspected of using fake addresses and mailboxes and stuff like that for falsifying credit card applications. So he was using other people's information mm -hmm. that I'm gathering he probably got from his tax accounting business that he had. Okay, the police did find incriminating evidence um, from James and Leanne, and they actually fled Chicago, and they lived under an assumed name, and this all kind of took place right around the time of the Tylenol murder. So this was like actually in September. So on September 4th, they actually bought a train ticket from Chicago to New York. So this was just before this all happened. Now, this was, I think was too early in the, in the, in the crime for this to be thought of to even be involved in this because they moved from Chicago to New York September 4th. This didn't happen yeah. to September 29th. And they had to so, put the cyanide in the pills quick shortly beforehand yeah, because it melts it through the capsule yeah so i just think this whole time framing was off on this so i don't i don't think that they had anything to do with this yeah i think he was just a criminal that just kind of saw that as an opportunity mm -hmm. for another crime yeah so some of the investigators thought well maybe he did run a car or he flew into o'hare and planted these in Chicago, but why would somebody go through all that trouble? I just don't get it. Mm -hmm. um, the surveillances from one of the drugstores did show a man that could have been James, but they didn't have positive ID on yeah. it. I mean, there's a lot of people that look alike. Yeah, so they couldn't conclusively say he was even in the area at the time. Mm -hmm. So the letter that James did send to the company did actually throw him into jail. He did get convicted of extortion and he was sentenced to 20 years in prison, uh, which he only served 13 of that. So while James was in prison, he did offer to help, including giving bizarre details on how they could have injected the cyanide into the capsules mm -hmm. and different stuff like that. But yeah. he was... Just because he didn't do the crime doesn't mean he didn't have the knowledge right. of how, how to, to do it. it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
1995, he actually was released and he moved back with his wife, who had actually moved to Cambridge, Massachusetts at this point. And he did release a book, um, and it was like a fictional book, and he released it in 2010. And this book was about basically lead poisoning in, in, in Southern Missouri. So he was interviewed about the book and any of the questions regarding the Tylenol murders were directed to his lawyer at this point. So he probably went on like a little mini book tour. And, yeah, like press. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And signed books and stuff like that for people. And I'm sure everybody. I'm sure they were more interested yes. in that than they were the book. Yes. Yep. That's probably why a lot of people did show up and they're like, oh, now there's my time to question them on this. Mm -hmm. and, and of course, he did the right thing. Don't don't question me about the town numbers. That needs to go to my lawyer. Yes. So it was smart that he did do that. Shortly after the murders, there were apparently hundreds of copycats who poisoned pills with some with hydrochloric acid, some with rat poison. Out of the hundreds of copycats, there were three that did result in death. The first one was a woman who died in Yonkers, New York, after she took some extra strength Tylenol that was laced with cyanide. The next was actually his two deaths. It was Susan Snow and Bruce Nickel, who died in Washington after ingesting Excedrin capsules that had been poisoned with cyanide. As it turned out, Bruce's wife, Stella, was the one who did that, and she was convicted for uh, both their murders. Susan Snow wasn't actually a target of Stella's. I, she um, was just somebody who happened to grab one of the bottles that Stella poisoned because Stella was trying to kind of make it seem like it was random and not her, you know, when she because she wanted to kill her husband. And the last incident that resulted in death was Kenneth Ferries, who was a student at the University of Texas, and he died in his apartment after he took cyanide lace anison capsules, which painkiller. Um, his death actually was labeled as a homicide originally, but the medical examiner eventually changed it to suicide as he had obtained the cyanide from the lab that he had worked at. Now, the actual perpetrator was never caught, and they never could determine a motive behind any of this either because there was nothing that led to anything. It was all dead end. There was a law firm by the name of Crowboy and Demetrio that filed two multi-million dollar lawsuits in circuit court in Cook County, and this was actually against the manufacturers and distributors and the sellers of the Tylenol. So they kind of just roped like everybody in there, yep. like Johnson and Johnson, um, the different stores. Yep. And... Now the lawsuit actually came out of the death from the 12 year old Mary Keller and the Mary McFarlane, which had the two young boys, a single mom. So in 1991, the families of all seven victims were actually given a settlement and it's been undisclosed on the amount that they were given. The Tylenol murders actually prompted the FDA to introduce tamper-resistant packaging, and they actually made February 6th of 1984 the deadline for drug makers to have any non-tamper-resistant packages off store shelves. So most manufacturers actually had done this ahead of the deadline, and I'm sure that 
was to appease customers because they're not oh, going to yeah, buy you your because feel safe. Yeah, you, they want something safe so that they're going to buy the company that has the resistant packaging rather than not. Whether it was brand name or not, or the the brand that you normally use. Or not, yeah. Mm -hmm. I don't think I would have bought it. I'd have been like, this one's safer. I'm going to get that Yeah, one. especially right after the fact. Yeah. And they also had increased quality control checks for medications as well. And product tampering was actually made a federal crime after this. And Stella Nickel, who had killed her husband as a copycat killer, um, she actually ended up getting charged with it as a federal crime. So it had passed before she... Mm. which i yeah i think yeah i mean okay so you gotta imagine this never was a problem before yeah and now so suddenly it's a huge yeah. problem and now all these other copycats are trying to do it so mm -hmm. they probably pushed for this to yeah. go through rather yeah. quickly seems like with things like this where um it, they're not having luck finding a suspect copycats crop up mm. they think that oh they're they can't find anybody i could get away with it yes <laughs> And um, capsules actually became less prominent in the pharmaceutical world just because those were easier to poison than, you know, tablets that mm -hmm. were solid. And they eventually replaced capsules with caplets, which were basically just a tablet in the shape of a capsule. Although today we do have capsules now. Mm -hmm. So we do have different, you know, options and whatnot. I did see the capsules of the Tylenol on the shelf the other day, the red and blue ones. I seen them the other day when I was doing the research. Yeah. I was like, oh, look at that. They're there. Yeah. Uh -huh. Yeah. So we still have them, but we also have tamper-resistant packaging nowadays. So. It's like going through Fort Knox to get and the packages open. <laughs> sometimes, yes. Mm -hmm. But, you know, now that we could feel a little bit safer. And knowing that, unfortunately, there had to have been seven lives lost to get to the point to where we're at, but we're there. Thank you for listening to Crime Night. We release new episodes every other Wednesday at 6 p.m. Central. You can find a link to our sources in the episode description. You can find us on Facebook and YouTube under Crime Night Podcast. Good, Good night! night.